you can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Jazzcast Pros. How do we do a better job of helping our people not have those Will Smith-type moments, right? Where you, you display to the world all the anger, frustration, rage that is built up in you from systemic and structural and institutional racism to the assault of negative imagery about us to our lack of knowledge about who we are. And then just the constant pressure, just trying to, on the day-to-day grind of just trying to make it. Well, you and I both know as a, as a black man, <laughs> navigating these systems, these isms is a heavy load. We have to own and validate those experiences. A lot of times, one of the things that we're seeing is a cry for help. It's folks acting out. It's not necessarily what's wrong with our community, what's strong within our community. You know, that's really what I see. We can't allow television and Facebook (laughs) to define what it means to be a Black man in America. Welcome to Igniting Hope Radio, where we realize the differences between equity and equality. Here at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, quite frankly, we don't want equality. We want equity. The only way to change hearts and minds is through emotional engagement to get people behind it and continuously support the concept with facts. This is our aim and our mission weekly as you join Pastor George on Igniting Hope Radio. Welcome again to Igniting Hope podcast. This is Pastor George Nicholas, Senior Pastor of Lincoln Church in Buffalo, Chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, African-American Health Equity Task Force. I hope people view me generally as a friend to the community. Uh, Today, we're going to really be talking again about about what's going on in our, our minds and in our hearts and in our community. You know, recently, we have continued to see an uptick in suicide in the African-American community, especially amongst our young people. And just but just by talking with folks as we begin to transition to this next level of the COVID-19 crisis, where we're not out of it completely, there's still people that are getting COVID, there's still people that are getting sick from COVID. Recently, this country passed the 1 million mark that over 1 million Americans have, have died of COVID-19. And as we begin to start looking at the data, Uh, We're finding that many of the deaths came from people in our community, uh, people who were older, people who were poor, people who had uh, less access to health care. And just that whole season of trauma is really weighing heavy on on many of us. One of our friends that uh, is close with us, Stan Martin, who leads the Hope Buffalo Project, uh, Project REACH, project that's funded out of Chickatelli and Associates and just has done some tremendous work in reaching into the community and sharing information and connecting people to resources. As recently as the last week was out on 
in the community with other young people and volunteers and cleaning up, just literally cleaning up the space in which we live. But one of the things that Stan and I talk often about is just what's going on emotionally with our people as we deal with this season of, of, of trauma and just being black in America is a, a traumatic experience. And how do we push through and, and break through on that stigma of going to, to get help? And so Stan, as you move around the community and first welcome to our Igniting Hope podcast. And if you're listening, please share or like our podcast. And if you want more information about our work at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, please go on to our, our website at buffalohealthequity.org. So Stan, what are you seeing? Just in the conversations and, and what we're seeing, how do you see this pandemic and, and just the current condition of, of, of Black Buffalo? How do you feel people are, are, are processing this and dealing with this? Thank you, Pastor. It's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, I certainly consider you a friend and a brother, you know, of mine, who I hold dearly to my heart, you know, uh, not just about the work, but about who you are as a person. So thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here with you today. In response, you know, you know to the question, I see a lot of, I see a lot of hope. I see a lot of despair as well. You know, it's a very complex issue, you know, when we're talking about mental health and we talk about COVID and some of the other things that we're faced with as a people, where oftentimes, you know, we quickly learn not to talk, not to feel, not, not to have discussions. And that places us in isolation, you, you know, and that's certainly one thing that, you know, COVID has done over these last, you know, almost two, two and a half years. So I, I think that because of the isolation and we, we're not, you know, we're not talking about these issues, you know, we're not trusting one another to make ourselves vulnerable to identify solutions, you know, then, you know, the issues itself exasperates themselves. You know, I'm the only one, you know, or, or why is this only happening to me or to my community? I say a lot of uh, hope, but also I see a lot of despair, you know, as well. And it's not necessarily what's wrong with our community, what's strong within our community. So I'm sure we're going to get into that. But, you know, that's really what I see. It starts as simple as, you know, let's clean up. Let's have that self-pride in our community, our homes and where we live, where we work. That's where it starts at. And hopefully that builds momentum to have those conversations and to empower folks to say that, you know, there is something that I can do and to reach back and, you know, share with others, you know. You know, you get, you kind of brought me, brought something up in, and um, in terms of perceptions and the things that we emphasize and not focusing on what's wrong, but to focus on what's strong. And that's not to ignore some of the real crisis that we're, we're, we're having as a community. And it made me think of this image. A lot of attention was made on the, you know, the act of violence that Will Smith perpetrated against Chris Rock at the, at the Oscars. And that kind of dominated the narrative, right, of, about the whole event. And people kind of trying to layer, you know, Will Smith's behavior upon all black men and, and all this other stuff. But simultaneously during that same uh, ceremony, right, Samuel L. Jackson was given a Lifetime Achievement Award, right, for all of his work. And, and there's a beautiful moment where Denzel Washington and others you know, really embracing him with great pride and, and with his achievement, right? 
But the narrative, right, about the event, right, is focused on the, you know, misbehavior of, of one black man without balancing it around the great achievement of another black man. And, and so can you, can you talk a little bit about how sometimes the narrative about us as black men contribute to these feelings of, of negative self-worth or negative view of each other uh, within community and how that's, how problematic that is? Absolutely. I, I think that, I mean, that's, that's a great example because when you look at that event, I think that was the first um, event that was actually produced and directed by a black man, <laughs> you know, people of color. You know, so all, you know, that and Samuels and all of the accomplishments of us as a people got overshadowed because of that one incident or because of that incident that played out throughout the world or across across the globe. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's a saying that the system is designed to do exactly what it's doing. And, and that is to destroy, you know, and to keep to keep you know people of color, black people in particular, held down. And there's a saying that says that, you know, they're from from an old Tupac movie, I never forgot it. You know, we'll give you all the tools you need to destroy yourself. You know, so we have to be aware and be conscious of that narrative and not allow ourselves to get caught up in the mix, you know, to be, you know, contributing, you know, to that and to really amplify and tell our own story, you know, and I'll be quite honest, you know, I think that we as a people, some of us don't know our own history, don't know our own story, and we're still dealing with some, maybe even some self-hate, um, some perceptions of who we are, you know, as a, as a people, as a person, as a community, and we have to deal with those root causes of how did we get there, and once we deal with those root causes, then we can truly roll up our sleeves to say, you know what, now that I'm woke, quote unquote, you know, how do we now go forward? Don't stay there. You know, now how do we move forward to not only uplift myself, but my entire race, my community, you know, for generations to come? Why is it so easy for us to believe the worst about us? I mean, how have we been so conditioned and to view ourselves in in such a way that whenever a narrative comes out about us that's negative, right? Why is it so easy for us to believe it, embrace it, and not only believe it and embrace it, but to repeat it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be- because in my opinion, I'm, I'm saying I'm speaking from my opinion, uh, my experience is that it's because when we look at the media, when we look at you know what's what's been. Um, Advertise, tell a lie to your vision, you know, television. What what do we see? You know, we see those images, those false narratives played out, not just on TV, but then even in our community when we're walking or driving through or what have you, you know, we see those reinforcements, those conditions that perpetuate that narrative. And it then allows us or prevents us to some degree not to... Um, see ourselves more than that. And, and so we cannot underestimate the combination of forces that are at play here. You know, this is the playbook. 
You know, so then it's reinforced when we go to the doctor. It's reinforced when we can't go to the grocery store and get quality foods or or, or services. It's reinforced when it's uh, transportation. You, you know, when we look at the bigger picture in the in the larger context, we're perpetually seeing systems that are designed to make us feel inferior. And if we don't have the resilience to say, you know, I am more than that. You know, we are more than that. You know, that becomes an issue. You know, that that becomes a, a heavy load. And you have to, you know, you have to look at surrounding yourselves like like, you know, who who am I talking to? Who am I talking with? Once again, having these conversations, these aren't conversations that are typically had at the dinner table and most dinner tables in my in my opinion. We have to dismantle we we have to dismantle all of that. Right. So the great the great black author and great author, great American author, James Baldwin. He said to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all the time. I confess that there are just times, man, when I just think about the condition of our folks, the hell that we got to go through, just stuff that just unnecessary stuff. And then it just brings up just that rage. But I'm a, you know, I'm an older guy and I'm able to process it pretty good. <laughs> but what happens is with a lot of our younger people who have that perpetual state of rage, they have not been given the tools or the community support to be able to process it in such a way that the end result of it is not, you know, violence, aberrant behavior and others. So how do we do a better job of helping our people not have those Will Smith type moments, right? Where you, you display to the world all the anger, frustration, rage that is built up in you, right? And that you're in such a state where you can't even, you're not even aware of, of your surroundings. You're not even aware of the consequences of your actions, but you just have this absolute desire or or instinct to act out in that rage. How do we help our folks through this? Because it's real. And, and Baldwin said that, what he said in 1961, right? And so now we're here in the year 2022, and we're still dealing with, with a lot of that same state of perpetual rage. All right, all right. Well, you and I both know as a, as a black man, <laughs> You know, navigating these systems, you know, these isms is a heavy load. DNA has memory, you know. DNA has memory from the first time that we were brought here. And we have to get to a point where so we're looking at or having, having these conversations, not why are you acting, you know, or, or behaving a certain way. What has happened to you? What has been your experience? And be able to listen and lean in in a non-judgmental way and, you know, really get to those to those root causes. We have to own and validate those experiences. You know, a lot of times, one of the things that we're seeing is a cry for help. It's folks acting out, you know. And once we, once we get to that, you know, in terms of looking at it from that particular lens then our response will be proactive and not reactive. So when we're seeing these 
mental health challenges. We know that a lot of it is produced by the society or the environment in which we live. One of the sad things that we see is in our community, there's a lack of services, a lack of resources, a lack of culturally competent. Uh, where there, there are great people out there like Aaron Moss and others who are, who are, who are doing uh, yeoman's work, uh, agencies that are doing the very best that they can to provide support for, for folks who are dealing with these challenges. But the reality is, is there's just, one, there's not enough services. Two, there's such a stigma within community to go out and ask for help, right? That a lot of times people who need help don't ask for help. And then three, a lot of times people don't know how to get that help. How do we begin to better construct a, a community of care when we know the reality is from systemic and structural and institutional racism to the assault of negative imagery about us to our lack of knowledge about who we are and then just the constant pressure just trying to stretch our dollars to meet the needs that we we may have within our lives i think we have to construct and build a community of care for our people because in spite of and as you said there's a lot of good that's happening but the reality is there's a lot of folks that are struggling and and they're struggling not because they're bad people so i want people to very clearly hear this we're not talking about othering folks i'm talking about folks that just on the day-to-day grind are just trying to make it just need some help you know processing just the stresses of life the anxiety and trauma that that we face on a day-to-day basis how do we begin to construct this kind of community of care so that we can uh, uh, help ourselves a little bit better right no no great great question I, I think that we Buffalo is known as one of the things other than chicken wings and the Buffalo Bills we're known as the city of good neighbors. And I think we have to be willing to be informed and to educate ourselves, you know, about this topic, about the subject matter. It used to be a point in time where so if someone saw me doing something, they would call my parents before I got home or my neighbor or, or what have you. We have to have that community of caring where so it's not just the Martin's family issue, it's our issue. Or it's not just, you know, the Martin's child, that's our child. That's our family member. That's our loved one. You know, that might sound aspirational. However, once we begin to have empathy for others, you know, and build that community of caring, whereas though no wrong door as a, as a solution for us to pursue collectively, then I think that we're on that continuum. Why is it that, you know, if I have a family member or a friend or someone who I love and care about, that I have to think, twice, three or four times, if I know that a loved one uh, has a mental illness or a serious mental illness before I call the cops or before I call, you know, the ambulance, you know, for services. That is our reality. That is our dilemma, you know, that we face constantly in this space. Uh, Am I doing more harm? Am I helping or am I harming that individual or escalating the situation. So we have to address, you know, these issues 
at the individual level, also at the community level, and then also, you know, at the um, systemic and policy level as well. I think the National Suicide Hotline, we, we need to make sure that we have, you know, that information, you know, at hand and readily available. And also uh, for those locally, you know, who are working in this space, being able to refer and link and follow up and, and hold those, you know, accountable for the services, you know, that that they're providing. Um, if I make a referral, you know, to a particular agency or to an entity, then I should follow up and see, hey, how did that experience go? How did they treat you? You know, did you know? Did you feel listened to? Did you feel heard? Did you feel respected? I know oftentimes people, when they're seeking help or trying to uh, get services, they don't feel respected. They don't feel treated with dignity, you know, uh, as a person. So, I think those are just some of the things that you know we can do as a community, collectively, to address some of these issues. And, and we're not making this stuff up, people. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. When you look at African Americans, we make up about 12% of the American population, but we make up 20% of the cases where there's a major depression disorder, so about twice our population. Very conservative estimations say that about 10% of black men are dealing with depression. And I would argue that that number is probably a lot higher. In 2019, the second leading cause of death for black men ages 15 to 24, not cancer, not automobile accidents, the second leading cause of death was suicide. And so we are in a crisis. And then when you layer that with the over-policing of our community and the mass incarceration of black men, well, data shows that about 50%, about one half of the black men in prison systems right now suffer from some level of mental health issues. Right, right. 50%. So when you, when you think about the length of stay in prison, in and out, the over-policing, the mass incarceration of our brothers, many of them going into the system with mental health challenges and then being released back into community and usually into our community without the proper treatment, without the proper support, you can see how this is just a cycle for disaster. And if we don't talk about these issues, and if we don't begin to assemble the kind of community of care, then we will see more and more acts of violence, more and more acts of self-harm. Because going back to, we're going back to, to the, the imagery of Will Smith and Chris Rock, there was nothing funny about that, folks. Nothing. It was an act of violence, which symbolized the anger, rage, brokenness of one brother who seemingly had everything in the world, right? But something within him, right? And we have lots of brothers out there that, that are just wrestling and struggling with these inner thoughts about themselves. And so it's very important, community, that we break the stigma, we get 
our husbands, our brothers, our sons, our nephews, our buddies, get them the help that they need. And we're focusing on today just about black men because it's Stan and I talk, but certainly a lot of the data shows that our sisters are struggling as well. Well, one of the things that, that a lot of the sisters struggle with is the struggles that their brothers, their husbands, their fathers, right, right? It create, you know what I mean? And so it, it's all connected. And so our final thoughts, Stan, one of the things that we got, we have to, we have to address is toxic masculinity and how we define what manhood really is. Because I think a lot of times, you know, with these, these image of toxic masculinity, which in some ways is a reaction and a response to the emasculation of the slave system of the black male, right? In the time of enslavement, the black male being helpless to protect his wife, his daughter, his mother. So now there's this almost a reaction and response to that kind of those generations of trauma and abuse to create an image of, of almost toxic masculinity, which can cause a lot of damage. Uh, well, well said, well put. And I think that when we're talking about you know masculinity, you, you hit the nail on the head, being able to protect, you know, to protect my family, you know, others, my loved ones, and being able to provide. Those two things, you know, are essential. And I'm doing those things in a way, in a manner that not necessarily causing harm to myself or to no one else. I think that's that's important. I mean, because we can't allow television and the media and Facebook, <laughs> you know, and these these other networks to define what it means to be a black man in America in today's world. We we can't we we, we cannot allow that. We have to peel that back and have these real conversations and you know be actionable not just have the conversation for the have for the sake of have a conversation but be solution oriented and be actionable and moving forward you know collectively Stan thank you so much for taking time to to be with us today we're going to have you on again and you know we thank you for all the great work you're doing through Project Reach and addressing the issues of of how you know the media is trying again trying to entice and continues to big tobacco to entice our our people into smoking and which does just terrible harm to to our bodies and um you know attacking the issues around menthol cigarettes and looking at the issues that you know the infrastructure issues within our community addressing issues around uh, teenage expressions of their sexuality and and how to keep our young people safe as they learn about themselves as sexual beings uh, really encourage our people to begin to think about things that maybe they hadn't thought about before, or if they have thought about them, to begin to think about them in, in a different way. So that at the end of the day, as you said, rightfully said, Stan, that we can um, be solution oriented. Um, and there are solutions. There's, there's no problem that we as, as a community face that there's not a solution for and there's no solution for our people that is not within our people. So this is Pastor George Nicholas for the Igniting Hope podcast. We're joined today by Brother Stan Martin, Chickatelli and Associates, and 
just many hats, but most importantly, just a friend of the community. And so we love you here at uh, the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And if you uh, want more information about our work, please go on to our website, buffalohealthequity.org. And then when you click on to one of our podcasts, make sure uh, that if you if it's something that was a blessing to you, make sure that you like it and share it with your, your neighbors. So until we uh, meet again, this is Pastor George Nicholas signing off for our Igniting Hope podcast. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm gonna do this to protect myself. Do it for them, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PREP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.